to episode 138 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we'll be bringing you an episode most likely longer than the movie we are reviewing, the 72-minute coming-of-age comedy, Shiva Baby. Later, we'll also be making our predictions for next Sunday's Academy Awards, but first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing pretty well. I, like you, have now received the first dose of the vaccine, which I am thrilled about. I think people in Boston became eligible uh, just a couple days ago, and I got really lucky when I logged into the vaccination site uh, that morning. There was just one random appointment, uh, Saturday at 10 a.m., and gobbled it right up and went on my went on my merry way. And uh, after about 10 hours after the shot, I felt totally fine. So, you know, I got the Moderna vaccine. You got Pfizer. So we're we're sampling. We're at war. The, yeah, we're, yeah, we're at war, but also sampling all the virus, all all the vaccine shots for everyone. So you know that. Uh, both are okay on that front. Can't speak for the Johnson and Johnson, but there you go. Not not since our I'm thinking of ending things review have we been on <laughs> such opposite ends of the spectrum about something as we are now. But I guess uh, yeah, true. no, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you you uh, were able to find that random spot. I of course am now fully vaccinated. Um, it'll be two weeks um, on Thursday, so you know that's when they say you could take your mask off or whatever. But of course, I mean, I'm not really going to do that yet because. Yeah, I was talking about that. I was talking about that very notion. There's still with, like uh, a stigma with it. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Like I, I, when I'm like going walking around in Boston near where I live on my normal like walk route and I see someone without a mask, I'm like, you know, you're like, it's, it's impossible to know, but I'm going to assume like you're, he's like an older person or whatever. Like you're probably fully vaccinated at this point. Right. But like, man, just wear your mask. <laughs> And it's, it's like, like we're gonna have to start where putting our vaccination cards like strapping them <laughs> to our t-shirts or something you know just totally, so yeah. everyone knows it's like a my but, name yeah. is badge or whatever like sticker or whatever. yeah exactly hello my name is fully vaccinated scott that's yeah exactly what, that's what yeah i'm not one of those be, half vaccinated scots i'm a fully vaccinated scott <laughs> well you are you are half vaccinated right now but that's uh, true yeah but i will say I didn't get that j and j no that, that's true um yeah, I mean, no one, no one can get the J&J right now because it's paused. But mm-hmm. I will say that that was one of the things that my one of a couple of my friends and I were talking today as we did our uh, walk outside is that, you know, we're all going to be fully vaccinated. Well, so, you know, one of my friends is already fully vaccinated. And then the other one of my friends is like a week ahead of me, I guess, got their first first dose last week. And it's like, you know, we're going to be fully vaccinated. We're going to feel comfortable doing a lot of things that we haven't felt comfortable doing in over a year, obviously. But like, when are we going to actually take our masks off? probably a very, I mean, could be quite a long time. And I'm totally fine with that. It doesn't bother me. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's like another, it's like another layer of hurdles to jump over or whatever. Yeah, no, I was, I, I went in person to church this morning for the first time in a long time. And um, a lot of people were not wearing their masks in there, which, um, you know, it is what it is. I, I wore mine. Uh, I'm sure not all of them were, were fully vaccinated. I'm sure there were, there yeah, were if some If you just go, you just not, go population percentage, it's like what, like, yeah. 25% are fully vaccinated, 30% are fully vaccinated. Yeah, but you know, still, we're getting those numbers up there. Those are rookie numbers, but yeah. we're, we're getting them up there. Those um, are rookie numbers so, in this racket, baby. You got to pump those numbers up. Exciting times, exciting times. So uh, funny that but, we were just talking about that movie before we started recording. 
We were. That is true. Okay, Scott. Well, our movie today is the indie comedy Shiva Baby from first-time writer-director Emma Seligman. Shiva Baby stars Twitter personality Rachel Sennett as Danielle, a young Jewish woman on the verge of graduating college but with no clear plans for her future, despite plenty of pressure from her family and community. When Danielle joins her parents, played by Polly Draper and Fred Melamed, for a Jewish funeral party, her anxiety begins to increase tenfold when she runs into Maya, played by Molly Gordon, an ex-flame of Danielle's who is having the sort of personal and professional success Danielle is lacking, as well as Max, Danielle's secret sugar daddy who happens to be harboring his own secrets, including that he's married to the gorgeous Kim, played by Diana Akron. Over the next hour, we cringe along with Danielle as she tries to avoid awkward situations, keep her own emotional state in balance, and maybe even find love, but with who? Scott, is Shiva Baby a cleverly constructed anxiety trip that finds universal truths in a specifically rendered atmosphere, or is this debut feature too uncomfortable of a sit to bear, even with its brisk running time? It's very specific adjectives in that question. Thank um, you. Yeah, yeah, very specific. Um, I think that for me, it was a, a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> this movie is like as cringy as I think that you would even find in something like Love Wedding Repeat. I mean, and and for a reason, right? Like this this movie is is not not trying to be that. Um, I think I described it in my letterbox review. If like the Safdie brothers made like a coming of age like comedy drama at a at, at like a funeral, <laughs> it's like basically what this movie feels like. Uh, I was watching this with my girlfriend and she was like, wow, this this film like it gave me I haven't felt this much anxiety during a movie since I since Uncut Gems. <laughs> I wondered it, what Karen's thoughts were going to be if she was able to watch it. Um, yeah, because she is Jewish, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know how familiar she is, how many shivas that she's had experiences that are just like this right. one. But uh, I, I think there is some like universality. I mean, there were so many you know remarks by her of like, oh, yeah, this is totally this is so Jewish. <laughs> like the parents and everything some of the comments yeah. they were, they were all making uh feels very authentic in that in that way to her at least I'm, i don't i don't never been to a shiva so i have no idea but uh overall i think that you know there is the column b to it there is like the cringe that i think for some people may make it extremely difficult to watch um even with the short running time which i was very appreciative of um and, but there's also i think there's some there's there's some clearly strong filmmaking especially from someone who's you know this is their first feature length although barely feature length i suppose uh directorial debut and you know maybe part of that is because the original version of this is a short film i, I think that this is adapted from the short film uh, of the same name from the same director i don't know if it's with rachel senate or not but um yeah i can't i don't know either yeah i'm, I'm not i'm just i didn't look it up i guess but overall I, I think it's it's really strong filmmaking it's one of those things that feels yes it is a short runtime but it's a short runtime that you know is really tight it's like short because of how tight it is there's a lot of um i guess very singular experiences that it doesn't seem to dwell on too much like it, it it's amazing to me that it's just like it gets you to cringe at so many different things <laughs> and it's almost like it's not like it's using the same cringe joke over and over and over and over again um like a lot of really we'll say um lower quality cringe movies might do but it, instead it, it really makes you it, it spans the full gamut of potential cringy situations at this, you know, particular Shiva um, to the point where you do kind of want to like put the pillow up to your mouth and like scream a little bit during the film, which, you know, for some people, they're going to really enjoy that. For me, it's not my particular brand of, of filmmaking. But even with that, even though I think that it isn't my particular brand of like preferred type of filmmaking, 
um, or storytelling. Again, I, I think that there is clear quality in it. What you're, you know, those adjectives that you're using to describe something, uh, which I've already forgotten. I apologize, but I, I think that when you were saying those, that those did resonate. I, I felt like the film did have those things, did have those components, um, and so I still had to appreciate it for that. And it's one of those films that I, I don't think it's a enjoyable watch. But I think it's one of those things that you can look back and be like, oh, there really are all these things in it that you can point at and be like, oh, that's really clever. Oh, that's really good. That's good filmmaking. Um, you know, I won't go far as far to say that I'll, I'll never watch this film again. But I probably, you know, it's not going to be one that I think, about, okay, what should I watch now? Okay, I'm going to turn this thing on again. But I can look back and have this conversation with you and say, hey, you know, I think that these performances were good. This sort of development is good. The point of having these sort of cringe elements to the film did send a message right it wasn't just for com it wasn't just for like comedic purposes right it's not trying to be just a cringe comedy um which i think there is a lot to there's a lot to digest there there's a lot to unpack and um it's impressive how much i think that emma seligman was able to pack into the 75 7 whatever the number is odd minutes uh that this film has and i think that it really does get you a range of emotions and uh, I don't know, conflicting feelings at a lot, at a lot of times. Yeah, I've seen this twice now, actually. Um, friend of the the show, Paul Oyama, turned me on to this movie a couple of months ago um, yeah. because it was available through a festival. It seemed like something that I would be up my alley, and I watched it, and I did enjoy it. And then I just rewatched it the other day for, in preparation for this podcast. Uh, and yeah, you know, I'm not a fan of cringe comedies that much either. Um but this movie does work for me uh, on, on, you know, as much as as much as a cringe comedy maybe can. I think this movie works. Um, and I think it goes back to that. The question I was asking was kind of about the way that it finds um, specificity, universality within this very specific setting, which I think is something that I look for in, you know, my favorite coming of age movies like, you know, Mike Mills with 20th Century Women or Greta Gerwig with Lady Bird. I think those are two examples of movies that also do that really well. But, um, you know, this is obviously a very specific experience, probably probably very inspired by Emma Seligman's own, you know, experience at these Jewish funeral parties, um, which is not a community that, I, you know, I am plugged into. I've never been to one of these. I don't, you know, I don't know the um, intimate details of um, how like Jewish parents and, you know, just all the characters in the film, um, you know, sort of their their attitudes and like, you know, Karen was saying that's so Jewish when she was watching it or whatever. Like, I mean, I obviously don't have that sort of perspective uh, to be able to say something like that, even though sure. I could sense that it was authentic to some degree. But also it finds these moments, um, you know, that kind of strike to the heart of anyone, not not just people who are within the Jewish community. Um, and a lot of those are uncomfortable moments, right? I think that is what makes this movie a much, much better than something like Love, Wedding, Repeat, which you mentioned, right? Is oh, that sure. yeah. these are actually a relatably uncomfortable situations, right? Love, Wedding, Repeat was just absurd, stupid situations, um, you know, for, for no reason. This movie, like, you know, it, it, it touches on some very, like, relatable moments, you know, all the stuff at the party where everyone's like, confronting her about like oh you know well what are you going to do with your life blah, blah 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 and she just like doesn't really have you know the answer that they're looking for and then yeah. every single person at the party asking her are you seeing anyone do you have a boyfriend right now blah, blah, blah. like i've been in those situations before um a lot of times during family gatherings and stuff like that and so i think um you know stuff like that is very 
real, I mean, that, that will strike a chord with just about anyone of a particular age yeah. uh, in particular. Um, even though, again, this is the movie is atmospheric to some degree. It is um, authentic and specific to this one person's experience. Um, and I think that's some, that's the sign of a really strong filmmaker and Emma Seligman. So, I mean, I think it's promising on that level. I also think her filmmaking creates a very effective atmosphere, right? Like um, the music, the very close up confrontational cinematography, camera work um, is all contributing um, to that anxiety and the cringiness that you are feeling, you know, it's something mm -hmm. like uncut gems that you mentioned, right? Like has that whole sort of layered sound mixing thing where, which is constantly sort of upping your blood pressure. Um, and this movie knows when to like use, you know, again, the camera, and the sound and everything um, to, to very, you know, effective degree, because this is another, you know, set in one location on one day type of movie, right? Not a stage play adaptation, but you could be mistaken for thinking it is because that's how it's um, set up. But, you know, again, the, what she's able to do with her filmmaking makes this feel like, she, you know, she's really able to put her own stamp on it. She's really able to um, justify this as, you know, a film because she, she uses the medium and all of its different facets very well to create, again, to create this atmosphere that I think um, contributes to the awkward situations that we are seeing um, play out on screen. I also think the performances are really strong. Um, it's not the type of movie where I laugh out loud a lot of times. Again, the cringe comedy doesn't, isn't necessarily predicated on that. Or if you are laughing, it's more because you just like, can't believe how uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, exactly. You can't believe how it just keeps getting worse and worse. Right. It just keeps spiraling. And that's, that is what we see over the course of this movie. Um, and you know, it's kind of like laughing in a horror movie almost to, to some degree. Um, and some are, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, that was, yeah, that was, that was intentionally trying to be funny as well, but, um, but yeah, no, so I think this movie, again, like, it, it's, maybe it's not something that I will return to a lot, either, to your point, but I liked, I didn't mind, you know, rewatching it again for this yeah. podcast, it is, because, I mean, probably because it is so short, but, you know, I think it's a very engaging movie, um, I think that, again, uh, of this type of cringe comedy or whatever, this is, probably, uh, you know, firing about as high as, as that type of movie is going to get for me. Um, so I give a lot of credit to Emma Seligman and, you know, her cast uh, for, I think, a, a strong debut um, here in 2021. Yeah. So I took the liberty of, of looking it up. Rachel Sennett does play Danny in, okay. in the short film, too. And the other thing I wanted to add on, because while you were talking about uh, sort of the universality and the specific, what it what it reminded me of was one of the other parts of the film that I think is sort of tangentially related to that is, you know, it is ultimately a film. Of course, it's it's very specific. It's like, you know, this Jewish woman at a shiva at a certain point in her life with, with very few things in her life figured out where her parents and her community want her to figure things out. But there's also this um, like sexuality element to it as well. And I think that one of the one of the things that we talk about every once in a while, whenever it does come up uh, and when films, I think, do it the right way and do do it well is like portraying this sort of what might be considered like a typical like genre of film. And like create or structure the story or tell a story that encap or that incorporates other elements too, like the fact that there is this sort of tension in her, you know, in this woman's sexuality, you know, whether she's bisexual, whether she's a lesbian, whether she's straight, right? It incorporates a story and it makes it like a natural part of a genre rather than like like I don't think anyone will look at this moment like, oh yeah, that's the like bisexual movie, right? Like it is this, it is this like coming of age, you know, drama or whatever. 
about a woman who is bisexual. And I think that does matter. There's other element. I think there's a few other movies that we've talked about and reviewed on the podcast where I'd say something similar, but I think that it strikes that right balance of incorporating, you know, true it like lived experiences of people um, in, you know, the universal element that you're talking about and the specific of, all right, this is just another coming of age drama of sorts that also gives this sort of puts this sort of representation on screen. Yeah. Um, and yes, just some of the mo the mom's attitudes towards it are, are, are kind of funny. Sure. Um, yeah. She's constantly trying to keep my Molly Gordon's character apart from Danielle, probably because she, you know, senses that there's still something there between the two of them. Um, there's like the scene where Kim, the Diana Agron's character is like, you know, asking her, oh, do you have, you know, a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? And and the mom kind of laughs like, oh, girlfriend. <laughs> Uh, you know, well, she's experimented, but uh, yeah, like she's done, know, just she's done it like that, yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, but actually, you know, honestly, what we come to see is it's not so much about the sexuality thing. I think she just doesn't want her with anyone, right? Because she has that one line or, or something about like um, get a vibrator or something, right? Like not yeah, not funny. a man, yeah. Um, yeah. So she's just she just like doesn't want her her daughter to be coupling up with anyone, be it guy girl whatever but yeah you're right i mean that's, Unless that's it's a nice jewish boy she seems to find a nice jewish boy and until then maybe a vibrator is fine yeah it's it's something to that effect but um okay scott let's talk about the cast here uh and we'll start with the star of this movie rachel senate i describe her as a twitter personality um which she kind of is if you're on certain corners of twitter uh that would be probably where you would know her from because she hasn't really done anything on screen um other than are you, short, are you in one of those corners of twitter I mean, yeah, I've seen her name popped up. I mean, I follow her now, but I had seen her name, you know, popping up prior to this movie some. Um, because, you know, she she has kind of a funny Twitter pre presence, almost like um, Dylan Galula, who we talked about, um, you know, recently in Shithouse and, yeah, and some other stuff. Sure. Um, she is kind of the same way uh, on Twitter. She's built up a little bit of a following there. Um, but Rachel Sennett is kind of like that as well. But, um, you know, sort of her film debut and a starring role here. Uh, do you think she does a good job? Is she effective? Is she a um, charismatic, uh, her quote unquote, heroine for us in, uh, in this cringing, uh, cringe, cringy uh, film? Yeah, I think that she does a really good job portraying this role. You know, not that it really ultimately matters, but I think you can kind of tell that she's sort of lived with this character for a while um and really gets into it so it makes sense that she also starred in the short film um and, and worked with you know, emma seligman on on that as well and and sort of translates this into a more feature length and probably honestly probably played a great you know a, a, a pretty significant role in shaping the character into the longer format even though the character is still i'm sure more or less the same and, and probably the short film covers probably about the same amount of time as um in terms of like the you know being set at the event from start to finish etc just you know 16 minutes versus whatever 70 whatever it is um, with this one. So I think you can really see that in the performance. It feels really lived with and um, like fully in character. And you can kind of just like feel the exasperation of like going to these types of events. I feel like when in this performance from Senate and it's sort of like the, the existential dread of knowing you have to do, you know, go do something for your family or it will be very frowned upon, but pretty much dreading every component of it from start to finish, right? Like, I don't want to see these people. I don't want to answer these questions. I don't like, I didn't even go to the actual funeral, so I shouldn't eat the food. <laughs> Should I now just go eat the food? Because now I'm getting told that I'm not eating. Like, it's just like this sort of like a whole idea of existential dread that I think that you really get 
from this performance from like the moment she picks up the phone at the beginning of the movie to the second, you know, to the last shot, you know, that, you know, I don't know, is it a spoiler? The last shot when she's like, she and Maya like hold hands in the car. Like you can just kind of feel the, the dread from start to finish. Sorry. I just ruined the movie. I, and I think overall like that, that really is where the performance lies to me because yeah, there are these moving parts and these sort of revolving door of supporting characters that come in and out throughout the whole movie. I mean, you've mentioned most of them already um, in terms of cast names, but ultimately this is, I mean, this is a movie where you're pretty much spending the entire film with this character from this character's perspective. You don't really get anything that's not from this character's perspective. So the film in many ways, I mean, yes, I don't, okay. I don't, I'll walk this back a little bit, but like the film relies on her performance to really drive you through. I don't think that's entirely true. I want to walk that back a little bit and say that I think that the film does build a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension and a lot of drama just from the way that you're talking about, like the filmmaking um, components that you were talking about with the close-up shots, the score, um, you know, this is sort of like almost the elements of the film that almost make it feel like a horror movie <laughs> in some ways yeah, to be totally. frank. Yeah, to be frank. And I, so I think that there is a character in the way the film is made as well. So it's not just on, um, not just on Senate, but I think she does a lot and she is required to do a lot and she, and she meets that bar for me. Yeah, no, I think she's strong too. I, I like the character's arc, right? Because, you know, of course at the beginning she is trying to, um, she is trying to avoid, um, these awkward situations as much as possible. But then yeah. towards the, the, as the movie goes on, she starts, she's sort of discovering a way to leverage these, that awkward awkwardness for her own benefit, right. In a way, or, you know, to, to get something out of it, particularly what is going on between Max, right. Her sugar daddy and his wife and everything. She starts trying to like sort of amp up the awkwardness uh, and uncomfortability because she herself has been put in a position that, um, you know, she, she's not comfortable with, right. With having to, to be in this room with his wife, which who, you know, he didn't know that she had, um, his wife, uh, she, she didn't know that he had a wife and then, you know, a baby as well. Um, and, you know, Max is also there and, you know, they're trying, they're trying to keep this secret from coming out, but yeah, she's trying to sort of, um, take out some of her aggression on him by being sort of passive aggressive towards, Kim. Um, and, you know, I like that change in her character. She becomes a little more assertive. I think she, maybe she picks up some of that from Maya, Molly Gordon's character, who is like that from the beginning. I like the confidence that Danielle sort of um, develops over the course of the movie, like I said, and, and develops some intelligence about how to use these situations, you know, for herself. Like it's, this is a very passive aggressive movie um, at times. Like, yeah, just some of the like little snipes that people are taking uh, at each other throughout the movie are, are some of the best parts of the movie to me because there's so much there's so many situations where it's like one or two people in this conversation know something that the rest of them don't. And obviously, like the things that they are saying take on a new meaning because they're referring to something that everyone else doesn't understand they're referring to. And maybe, you know, in the character, like she starts suspecting something right over the the course of the movie and that we never get an explicit moment of like revelation where she discovers what all is going on. Um, but by the time they leave the party at the end, right, we, we feel like she's figured out like what basically what, what's going on here. Maybe not the, the entirely the specifics, but that they've had some sort of, you know, affair going on on the side, probably. Um, it seems like she has, she has ferreted that out. Um, 
and yeah, just so, so, so just some of those scenes are, are well-written, I think. And, um, you know, I guess a little bit off course from Rachel Sinnott's performance, but the point is, I think, um, there is, we see the change in her character over the course of the movie. Um, I found it very believable. I think, you know, she is, she is charismatic, like she has a strong personality. Um, and, you know, just by putting her in these relatable situations, um, the movie garners a lot of empathy for her um, as a character. So I, I'll be interested. To, I mean, look, add her name and add Molly Gordon's name to the long, long, long list of like young actresses who, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see, um, you know, where, where they go next. I'm not sure about like, you know, what sort of roles she's going to, to get. I feel like she, she strikes me as someone who will probably stay more in the indie sort of sphere for now. Um, you know, may, maybe not quite breaking out yet to being like in, in big Hollywood or studio movies just yet. But um, yeah, she, she, has a, she has a strong screen presence and uh, I think was, was a good choice for the reasons that you mentioned, right? She played the role in the, the short film. And I think, um, like you said, she's lived with the role and, and that comes through in her performance. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of her work here. Um, as far as the supporting cast, Scott, I've mentioned Molly Gordon there, someone that we have seen in a few things, you know, like Good Boys and Booksmart, obviously, where she played AAA. Um, and uh, she plays Maya. Have you here. seen Good Boys? Is that true? I've not, but yes, yeah, she's okay. in the movie. Yeah, no, I I've seen it too. I mean, it's such a it, yeah. it's such a small um, role, but yeah, 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 yeah. She's like the sister or something, isn't she? Um, uh, I think that one of one of the kids' right. sisters. Anyway, yeah. um, you know, she she was in some 2019 comedies that did pretty well. Um, yeah. Between that and Booksmart, um, so we've yep. seen her in a, in a couple things. Um, I mentioned Fred Melamed and Polly Draper, who play the parents. Um, I Diane Agron, who plays Kim. I forget the name of the actor who plays Max. Um, those are kind Danny of Danny Day Ferrari. Danny Day Ferrari. Those are kind of your major players in the movie. Uh, anyone you want to highlight um, here, Scott? Yeah, I think the performance that I enjoyed the most, it's like hard, honestly. It's going to be really hard to watch like any sort of lesser known of the of the people from Booksmart and think that, well, you know, I enjoyed you more in Booksmart, which I think, you know, like it, like, like it or not, I think I do like Molly Gordon more in Booksmart. And that's like super unfair to her because I think that she does a good enough job in this film as well. Although, again, I mean, everyone is a minor character. Uh, compared to compared to Danielle, which is just the you know the reality of it. But I think the performance that I did like the most and the one that stuck out for me was Polly Draper. I really enjoyed her performance as the mom. And, you know, again, I, I don't have a mom like, like this personally, but it's so it's sort of the universe that like you can I can totally picture that, right? Like if I'm picturing this sort of like not helicopter type mom, but this mom who like just like really wants her daughter or like child to like make the right decision and just like wants to push her in that direction and like maybe pushes uh in ways that are you know less appropriate or, or don't necessarily work out for the best always um and i just thought that that performance was really funny i think it added a levity to the film that like otherwise like frankly this like it's not really a comedy um if not for this Polly draper performance for me like maybe you get small injections here and there but it's the mom that really adds the balance to the film that i think you need Otherwise, this does sink into sort of this like nightmarish uh, movie. I mean, you could still argue that it is, but it, I think that it does that performance. Her performance as Debbie and as Danny's mom is, is I mean, one of one of my favorites of the film. Yeah, I think both of the parent performances are strong, Polly Draper and Fred Melamed. And I like that their yeah. characters are like pretty opposite to each other. But yeah. they're both making the situation worse in their own ways. <laughs> totally. Right. Like, like the mom Polly Draper's character like she thinks that she's like the more like you know 
into it one like like right. she, she knows she's what's going it. on here yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah she's with it that's what i'm gonna say um she's like you know chastising the dad fred meloman anytime yeah. he does you know some sort of daddish thing um I, yeah. I guess his character is a little more stereotypical in, the, in that sense but um but then she goes and does something that is equally just as you know cringy i mean you know again the line that we mentioned about like the vibrator i mean she's just saying this to the people that they both they both are oversharing to to it, a, it, it's big a cool big mom energy from mean girls yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and yeah just her like over being overly gregarious and and oversharing and stuff also is also grading on yeah um Danny, but you know, there's there's heart in the performance. There's heart in both of these performances. Like, right? You don't you don't hate these characters at all. And you know, in particular, the mom and Danny get a nice moment of like, you know, I, I you know, where the mom tells her, you know, that she loves her and thinks she's a good kid and all this stuff, despite you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people just despite these you know anxiety inducing situations, despite her Danny probably feeling like she's inadequate um, because you know she hasn't she's not having the sort of success that Maya's having. She doesn't have a significant other, whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's a nice comforting scene. Neither does Maya to be fair, but yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe they both do at the end. Who knows for sure. It's a, it's a nice hopeful note to end the movie on. I will, I will say that like for as much as the movie is uncomfortable and the worst, like anything that can goes wrong, can go wrong, does go wrong. Like, yeah. The, the hand holding at the end is a, is like a, a nice note to end the film on of like, hey, maybe there is a silver lining, right? The, this whole experience brought the two of them seemingly back together. I don't know. Who knows if it'll work or if it'll last, but um, it seems like a good thing when at the point when the movie starts to end, uh, when the movie ends. But um, yeah, and I think Molly Gordon is good too. Um, yeah, she, again, like I said, she has like a nice sort of sly, um, character to her performance where she like again she figures things out she started she's sort of using situations uh for her own benefit as well based on what she sort of figured out just from watching people and watching danny in particular and um how she is at the party and she knows how to sort of push the buttons of of danny as well but that comes from you know the affection that she has for her um which you know we eventually see come out over the course of the movie so again a, a smart performance i think from from molly gordon as well you're not a smiling party, Scott. it's a shiva it's not a party <laughs> yeah true true um anything else scott you want you want to say about sort of you know how the the film un, unfurls over the the course of the, you know the movie the the different situations that spring about again we have um a lot of it is driven by Number one, her relationship with Maya, Molly Gordon's character, and where that goes. And number two, everything going on with um, Max and Kim and, you know, their child. Um, I, I will say one, one, only one, one small moment, which kind of bothered me at the end, was like when Kim is trying to hand the baby to Danielle, right? Like, and it's supposed to be like this gotcha moment because Danielle has been telling everyone that she's a babysitter when actually what she's been doing in her babysitting time is hooking up with Max. Um, and, you know, again, at this point, Kim seems to have figured something out. So she's kind of like testing her like, oh, hold this baby. You're a babysitter. It shouldn't be a problem for you. You don't have to be a babysitter to know how to hold a baby. Right. And like the, the anxiety that like they start again, they start amping it up. The music kicks in, like the visuals start doing this sort of blurry, distorted thing again, because like she's freaking out or whatever. Um, 
and I don't know, that just felt like a little exaggerated to me because like, you know, you, you, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be this big gotcha moment. Just be like, yeah, I know how to hold a baby, right? I'm like a 22, 21, 22 year old adult. Um, I, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a babysitter, like I said. So that just felt like a moment where the, the anxiety wasn't maybe necessarily as relatable as it was in, in other places, because um, I feel like she could have just rolled with it and owned it and it would have been fine. So what we've learned, sense. what we've learned from this take is that Scott is just really offended that he that people might not think he can hold a baby, even though he's not a babysitter. That's a, that's what we've learned from this take. <laughs> give give Scott your babies, people. No, that that is not no, what I what I mean. No, I know, but I again, like she's saying, hold the baby for two minutes while I go to the bathroom. This that that to me is not as um, yeah. stressful a situation as like a lot of the other stuff that we see in this movie. But the movie, you know, portrays it as if it is. Um, yeah, I think a lot of part, I think a part of it is, and, and I don't disagree with, with your take there. I just think a lot of part of it is like, even the little things add up at some point, right? Like she's like, so on edge and like, so anxious about the whole thing already. And like, just like clearly doesn't want to interact with Kim anymore. And then she's just like being set upon <laughs> by this woman and her baby. Um, it really, it's like nightmarish horror stuff. And I, and I think that is the one thing that I, I did want to talk a little bit more about, because I know we've definitely mentioned it and, and glossed over it slightly uh from a technical perspective maybe more so than anything else but like you know large swaths of this film just like you, you know really do feel like a horror film and i think one of the things that um i felt like didn't work as well for me and which is why you know i think that this film is maybe not as much for me is just the like leaning so far into sort of like the cringe horror of it where yes i i talked about how it does you know polly draper's performance and fred melamitz too at, does add a little bit of balance and levity to it but i do think that this film is just like trying really hard to like freak you out which there's nothing like wrong with that right? like make you anxious etc there's nothing wrong with that but um for me it just didn't work as well because i do think it's trying to stretch a lot out of these situations and that doesn't make them wrong or inauthentic but again just worked a little bit less good for me and i think what you were mentioning as you know what you were calling out there is is one of those examples of like trying to make a lot out of a little which I think you can reason yourself through to make sense. But to me, it felt like, okay, well, maybe we could have done something else with this. I don't know. That's just yeah. me. I will, I will say on the other end of the spectrum, a moment I do like from a technical perspective is um, when they're, she's surrounded by several people towards the end and they're doing like that sing-songy like thing from like her childhood or something, some kind of song where they like, I forget exactly what the name of it was, something about a baby. Like, and they're, they're like touching her and kind of like, Oh yeah, so Even, weird. Like, feeling her, rubbing her, or something—it's it, really yeah. weird. But like, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of touching and stuff in this movie. And like, they, they do a good job of portraying like how each little like touch and everything can can be like can, again can up the stress level. Um, but so the, like the 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 visual that we see is like this like sort of like washed out red tint comes over the screen, and it's like it's just. Um, just Danny really and like some the blurry parents and everyone else sort of cut, cutting in and out of frame. Um, and she, you know, obviously she starts yelling like, stop, stop, stop. And then we like, we're catapulted out of it and back into the real world. And we see that she's just like yelling, you know, stop in the middle of this party and everybody's now staring at her. Um, yeah, it's a song that it's a song that they would sing to her when she was a baby. So it's like, yeah. it's like infantilizing her basically. Right. Uh, and yeah, that, that's, that's just a nice moment because yeah, it feels like, the world is caving in around you 
Um, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, the the second you try to react in what seems to be an appropriate fashion, it's like, oh, wait, like, I'm actually the one who looks like the weird one in in this whole situation. Um, so I thought that was, that was a good use again of the, the technical elements, I think, to, to portray a very specific sort of feeling. Um, so yeah, no, I think, I think it's an impressive film again at 70 two minutes it's it's like 72 minutes without the credits yeah, um 77 like, is like with the credits i think yeah i can't get that mad about a film that is that short um it's just and, an episode you know, it's an episode of a tv show if if it's like a, unless it's like really bad i would just say go see the movie and, and decide for yourself right because it's so short it's not gonna waste your time to to watch it and decide for yourself and i think i mean i think it's a good movie so oh, i mean you know what what can i say um yeah. All right, Scott, I think we're probably ready to move into wrap up uh, at this point. Um, what was your favorite scene or moment from Shiva Baby? Yeah, favorite scene or moment. I, it, this is one of those films. I feel like I haven't said this in a while, so I only have like license to say this again, where it feels like this is this is not a movie of scenes. This is like one fluid. It, it really does feel like yeah. one fluid motion. So it's like hard to segment different parts of it, although I'll give it a try. But I do kind of like the, the, fir- the scene. I guess it's like, her real first conversation with Maya, Molly Gordon's character in the film, where Maya's like, I don't know. I think she's kind of feeling like mixed things about seeing Danny there. And then like, she's like trying to have a conversation with her, but like Danny's just like clearly not about it. And then they get into this like fight about whether or not Danny is going to like eat the food or not, basically. Uh, Cause she had skipped the funeral and like Danny's like trying to lie and be like, no, I was there. You just like didn't see me or whatever. And I think that sort of, encapsulates a lot of what this film is like going on about like this sort of again not to be too repetitive but like this sort of nightmare scenario where like you're being outed that you're like kind of just like there faking it you know being a faker didn't like didn't go to the funeral and just came for the shiva and you know you're she's being like upstaged by her ex and is like being outed by her ex and it's just like god this is just like an awful situation to be in um and like it just very much feels like, all right, I can't do anything right here. Like this is a lose-lose situation on all yeah. sides. Yeah. Another conversation that's funny between them is when Max comes in and uh, they're like describing how they know each other, right? They're talking about like going to the prom oh, together yeah. and, and he's yeah. trying to play it off. Like, oh yeah, that's sweet. You know, you went with your friend or whatever. And then Molly Gordon just has a line that I'm not going to say, cause it's a pretty explicit line, but yeah. Uh, yeah implying that they had sex that night. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, not implying just like explicitly stating that they had sex. Um, yeah, fair but enough. yeah, that's it's true. pretty funny. Like just sort of shatters the illusion that's going on. But uh, I, there's, I, I wrote uh, this one quote in my letterbox review that I'll, I'll highlight here that I thought was, was actually one of the moments where I did laugh. Um, and it's, it's towards the end, right, where, again, Danny has kind of decided that she's like, she's feeling, she's starting to feel like resentful of Kim, the wife of um, of Max, because, you know, she's very, like, beautiful. She has, like, three businesses or something yeah, as they keep bringing up over the course of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not trying to be some sort of girl boss. Uh, that was a good oh moment, God, too, yeah. where she tells her that. Um, but she's resenting her, and so she... She, she like, uh, offers her a job and be like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm not... That's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah, so Danny kind of goes on the attack a little bit. She jumps in as, like, Kim is showing, like, these photos to someone. Yeah. Um, and this older Jewish woman. And, and Danny just looks at the photo and is like, oh, you guys went to the Holocaust Museum? You look so happy. And there's just like this moment between the two of them of like, uh, you know, again, like simmering tension that I think is is nice. Um, 
Okay, Scott, uh, let's put a score on it. What do you give Shiva Baby out of 10? 7.5. I give it an eight. This is probably pretty close to being a four and a half star for me. I gave it a four um, on Letterboxd both times I watched it, but it's it's right there on the line. I, I do like it quite a bit, um, and I encourage people to check it out. Support female filmmakers. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. This movie's good. Um, Okay, Scott, when we come back, speaking of female filmmakers, there's a few of them nominated this year at the Academy Awards. After the break, we'll be predicting whether any of them will win or whether the Oscars will be like the Oscars normally are. Um, so stick with us. We'll be right back. this episode of some like it scott scott uh, we have finally arrived at the academy awards um a much longer wait well about a month longer wait than usual this year two months yes that that is true i guess yeah and longer than than i even remembered but um yeah a much longer wait time? to get get here this year um the build-up has been been something these movies have trickled out even slower than usual um it seems like but we're here um we are one week away as of the time of this recording. When you hear this episode, we'll just be a couple of days away from uh, the Oscars. Um, and, you know, we've we've talked a lot about awards season, what movies are trending up, trending down, what are the locks, what are the categories that feel like they're still fluid. Um, but the time for talking is over, Scott. The time to make our picks has arrived. Um, and we're going to we're going to call our shot here on sort of the big uh, major categories here. And who we think is going to win. Let's start with the screenplay, Scott. Best adapted screenplay. Who uh, do you think will be taking home the gold statue here? Oh, man. I don't know. I I think that if you'd polled the audience, i.e. me, uh, before watching The Father last week, I think I might have said, I might have said Nomadland. But I, I just think Nomadland is going to get honors somewhere else. And I think, that, you know, maybe Olivia Coleman gets it for supporting actress. I'm not sure. But I think The Father might get it here. So, you know, I'm going to. I don't know what actually is the favorite in this category, to be honest, but I'm going to go with the father. Yeah, to, to for clarity's sake, the nominees here, One Night in Miami, The Father, The White Tiger, surprise nomination sort of for Netflix there, Nomadland, and Borat's subsequent movie film. And Scott, you know what? I'm That's where I'm going with mine. I think Borat's subsequent movie film is going yeah. to take home the adapted screenplay Oscar. Um, you know, this movie... Uh, obviously has a couple of nominations. Maria Bakalova also getting nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Um, I think this is probably the more likely area where they're going to sort of choose to, um, you know, reward Borat. Again, Nomadland is, you know, obviously a film that we still expect to, to win a lot of awards, but the screenplay, maybe just because uh, it's a quieter film, it's not as dialogue driven as a lot of the other films. Um, you know, the, favorite, the, the screen favorite though? It could be. I haven't really looked at the odds of this particular category, and it, it, it certainly could still win. But that's why I, I do lean towards, uh, you know, Borat here, just because, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a movie for our current current moment. Right. Like this movie is very much about um, the sort of misogyny and um, gender based hierarchies that we see in politics nowadays. Um, and I think that's something that. You know, if it doesn't resonate with the Academy, the Academy is going to want to maybe, you know, quote unquote, score some points um, by by picking a movie that has something to say um, and has something to say that, you know, is 
something that people have complained about with the academy itself, right? And the lack of gender, you know, diversity and stuff like that. Uh, maybe they're, you know, they, they might, I feel like they could lean towards Borat as a way of saying, hey, look, guys, we know, we had, we're, we're acknowledging that this is an issue. Um, we're awarding this movie. Um, so that's that's my choice there. But I think it could go to The Father. I think it could go to Nomadland. I think the other two probably are a bit more of a long shot, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, One Night in Miami has just sort of like, I, don't, I just feel like there's just nothing behind yeah. this movie at this point. Um, yeah, I yeah, mean, at one point, really I think. About it anymore. Yeah, I think at one point, probably, probably was one of the favorites. But I, yeah, the steam has, it has lost steam. And I was just looking at Gold Derby, and it looks like Nomadland is the predicted, is the favorite right now. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it, it certainly could win, and I won't be surprised. But I do think the best original screenplay, Scott, is is definitely a more loaded category this year. Um, all of the movies nominated are also nominated for Best Picture. They are Sound of Metal, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Scott, uh, do you think that the chalk will continue uh, with another win for Aaron Sorkin here? Yeah, I think the chalk will continue, and I think that the primary reason for that is that I don't think it's going to get any other recognition um, at at the Oscars this year. I mean, look, maybe I end up being wrong there. Maybe it gets some sort of like I don't know, like like set design or whatever the production design or whatever. It, although it's not nominated for production design, so that's not true. That can't be possible. Um, so I don't know what else it would get. To be honest, is is basically what I'm saying. And I think that when not only is it one of those things where like okay, where else is someone going to check off Trial of Chicago Seven on their ballot besides you know some people who maybe check off Best Picture or whatever, right? Like, I think it's going to be pretty hard to find a place to fit in this film, even though it is, you know, maybe a second or third favorite in a lot of categories. And for that, I think it's really easy to, to pick it in a category where it probably already is the favorite just because of the name brand recognition of Aaron Sorkin. So I'm going to go try the Chicago seven. Yeah, no, I, I am as well. I will say, I do think promising young woman might be making a little bit of a late push here. And yeah, I would I not be surprised yeah. to see it maybe sort of, pull the upset, but I do think that I lean towards it getting its due in a different category that we will get to maybe in just a few minutes um, sure. is where maybe I see it getting its token win. But I, I do think screenplay is is definitely an area too that if, if it pulls off a, an upset here over, over you know, Sorkin and Trial of the Chicago 7, I wouldn't be stunned because, you know, I, I do think it's a movie that it's it seemed to be in the discourse like since it's come out. And I mean, I'm, I'm still seeing like new think pieces and stuff popping up about this movie just in the last couple of weeks um, and people tweeting about it and stuff, um, at least on film Twitter. Um, and yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it pull off the upset here, but I am going to go with the safe pick and choose trial of the Chicago seven here. Uh, Scott, best supporting actor talking about a category where there's a safe pick at this point. Um, we have as our nominees, Paul Racy in sound of metal, Sasha Baron Cohen in the trial of the Chicago seven, Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the black Messiah, w Leslie Odom jr. In one night in Miami and the guy who has cleaned up in award season so far, Daniel Kaluuya also in Judas and the black Messiah. Does the chalk continue here? Yeah, look, this is a stacked category. Frankly, I think that both Lakeith and Daniel Kaluuya from Judas and black Messiah are, I mean, look, we can quibble over whether one of them should be in this category, but they're both worthy, in my opinion. Paul Racy, very worthy. I think Sasha Baron Cohen is is good in Trial of Chicago 7. Um, but if we're just talking pure predictions, and maybe even who I'd vote for, too, maybe I have to think about it a little bit more, but uh, Daniel Kaluuya, I, I think that this is it, arguably the most locked category there is. 
Yeah, I, I think it's probably the best performance in the category. Uh, although, you know, I do think that Lakeith Stanfield and Paul Racy both give him a, a run for his money here. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's also the one that's going to win. Like to me, this is this is absolutely Daniel Kaluuya's to lose. You know, he's a guy yeah, this is, who... This is the one category where there has been absolutely no sign at all that there might be yeah. some deviation. Like even in Best Actor, which we'll talk about in a second, like at the BAFTAs, they yeah, <laughs> they right. they pulled a, a right hook out and like... A I red guess, herring, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, we'll, we'll yeah, talk about that in a second, look, but yeah. Kaluuya is a guy who has been getting rave reviews and everything that he's done since Get Out, right? Which he was also nominated for. Um yeah, he's just, you know, whether it's supporting lead, um, he, he's one of the, you know, biggest rising stars, I think, working today. Um, and I think this is a great time in his career and a time that makes sense for him to get an Oscar. Um, and, you know, again, if you see the movie, it's it's a hard performance to ignore or to shake. I mean, he, he really does. He it's really loud, is electrifying big. on screen. Yeah. Um, it's loud and it's big, right? Which are things that the Oscars look for, but it's also a very good Absolutely. and much more nuanced performance. Yeah, I know you agree with me. Um, yeah. It's much more nuanced. See than, our episode. You know, I do agree. <laughs> uh, which just shows you how you know strong of an actor I think he is. Um, also, Scott, watch support. Widows. Yes, he makes the most of his uh, few minutes of screen time there. Uh, best Supporting Actress, Scott. Uh, Amanda Seyfried in Mank. Olivia Coleman in The Father. Yunya Jung in Minari, Maria Bakalova in Borat's subsequent movie film, and Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Who wins? Well, so I guess what what is, what is the chalk in this, Scott? I'm I I'm not even sure. Is it Yujun? I think it it's probably Yun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I man, I I think it would be really nice if she won. Although I mean, she's not not who I would vote for personally, but I think it would be really nice if she won. Is the Oscars going to give it to her though? I wonder. I if they do, it's unfortunately. For better or worse, it's going to smack of like, oh, this is making up for last year, not giving it to um, Zhao Zhujin for for um, the farewell. And I think that's a that's a bummer. I hope that doesn't I hope she doesn't win. And I hope she wins and that doesn't happen. But I just feel like if it does, it's going to it's there's going it, like just there's just going to be so much conversation about that, which is going to be annoying. Um, man, who do I think is going to this is the tough one, though, because after that, after watching The Father just so recently, man, Olivia Coleman just really sticks out there for me and. We know the Academy likes her a lot. And when we talked about that last week, then it seems like whenever she does a movie, people like her. And then there is Maria Bakalova, although I do think that stock is fading. I don't I think that would be a real shock at this point if she were to take it home. And I mean, Glenn Close, what more is there to say? <laughs> Glenn, she will not be getting uh, her first Oscar win. Just for look this. at these movies she's getting nominated for like this. I mean, the wife is, is fine. The wife, but is, like, the wife is good. Yeah, the wife is uh, fine. But. The wife, Albert Knobs, like those are her last three uh, nominations. nominations. These are movies which people like literally in one ear and out the other, right? Like the second yeah. these movies end, you like don't really remember them. Even the wife, right? Which is a, it's it's okay, but like I have not thought about the wife at all in the last two years, other than in yeah, remembering. At, le at least Oscar that was a good movie. <laughs> like at least that was a good it movie fine, and a yeah. really good performance. What if um, there was a wife, Scott? What if there was a wife? All right, Scott, I am going to go Oscars too white on us and say that Olivia Coleman's going to going to win this one. OK, uh, fair enough. I, I could see it. Um, Are you taking a chalk? Yeah, you know, I, I'm still thinking it over. You know, Scott, I think <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to go back to your point, too, because Zhao Shuzhen. Yeah, there's that aspect of the whole Union Jung thing. And then there's also, uh, you know, adding on to that, the fact that people were um, disappointed that no one from the Parasite Ensemble got nominated last year either. True. Um, 
Yeah. And so I, I could see this. I could see them being like, hey, OK, this is the next step. Right. We 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 awarded the foreign film for best picture, best director last year. You're thinking too now progressive, Scott. Get... You get progressive and then the, and then the, yeah. they always regress. They, they always regress Oscars too woke. Hashtag yeah, yeah, Oscars yeah. too woke. Um, yeah. So so, you know, I think there is that thought process. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to deviate from the quote unquote chalk as well. I think Amanda Seyfried is going to take this. I think uh, again, That's a brave pick. Mank is a movie which might get some love in technical categories, but another movie yeah. that I think um, is probably not going to get the type of recognition that David Fincher would have hoped for, certainly, and, you know, when he was, uh, especially after COVID wiped out a lot of movies in 2020, you would have thought David Fincher was probably looking at his chops thinking, oh, man, I got this locked up, finally, the one that I should have won for The Social Network 10 years ago. Um, yeah, for sure. I'm going to get it now and it's not going to happen for me, but um, I think maybe it, it will happen for um, Amanda Seyfried, even the people who aren't the biggest fans of Mank. I think, you know, you being an example, Scott, I think are, are complimentary of this performance. This is one of their favorite things about the movie. Um, and so I could see that, um, you know, g giving uh, a positive boost to Amanda Seyfried here, an actress who does not have an Academy Award. So um, I'm going to go out on a limb. You have to go out on your limb a, a little bit. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think Amanda Seyfried is fourth like. favorite in this category. So I, it would be a big upset, I think, for her to win it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the, the margins are super thin in this category. So that's fair. See. This, um, is, this is definitely one of those categories that you could see three or four of the different people winning. To yeah. All right, Scott. Best actor Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal, Stephen Yun in Minari, Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Gary Oldman in Mank. Uh, are we going with the obvious here? Yeah, not not to be a dick, but uh, I do think that even though it wouldn't be my vote, I think Chadwick Boseman is gonna is gonna win this. Enough said. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think he will as well. The the posthumous thing car carries a lot of weight, but it is a great great performance. I don't I don't want to to take that away from. Yeah. Uh, in in a year of all. some truly great performances, especially if you threw Lakeith yeah. Stanfield in this category when he probably is a lead, uh, not a yeah. supporting between him and Riz Ahmed and Anthony Hopkins, and you know I'm not the I'm I'm not over here standing Stephen Yeun or Gary Oldman in these particular roles, but I mean sure I mean they're great actors too. So it's a tough it's a it's yeah, a tight no, year I, in I, Best Actor. I definitely think Stephen Yeun is deserving of the nomination. Probably not Oldman, sure. but um, but yeah, no, it's and I think we brought this up last time, but it's great. It's it, this is probably the best category across the board um, of the acting categories this year, just in terms of the quality of performances. And it's great to see that because Best Actor has been such a weak category over the last decade. If you look at the performances that have won, uh, I'm not going to go on about that again. Because I was going to say we did we covered it last time. week. I think <laughs> yeah. last time I think we covered that. But even just again looking at the last two with Joaquin Phoenix winning for Joker, with Rami yeah. Malek winning for Bohemian Rhapsody, like gag. Um, so like yeah, gag, bro. They, they're they're spoiled for choice here um and yeah. so i would be happy to see i mean yeah i don't i oldman i would I didn't would gary oldman win the year before the after darkest happen. hour so it did which is i mean he's good and i mean he's good in both I haven't, of these I haven't movies, seen like, it. don't get me wrong yeah he's he's good in both. darkest hour is a, is a better movie than people give it credit for but um but yeah anyway they're they're spoiled for choice here i i do think they're going to go with bozeman for sure but if they went you know took a left turn and went anthony hopkins um i'd certainly be fine with that as well even though he you know it has won before obviously one one of his greatest performances probably anyway so probably be probably so it. yeah 
It's he's spectacular in the film. Um, all right, Scott, best actress, our final three categories to get to here. Andrew Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman, Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Frances McDormand in Nomad Land. Also a very good category um, this year as best actress. Uh, you know, quite quite the opposite of best actor. Best actress has been an excellent category in recent years, and I think this follows suit. Uh, who you got here, Scott? Yeah, this certainly is the other one that is a big sort of question mark around. All right, who is Head scratcher? Yeah, yeah, because I think it is hard. I think, right? I guess like like who even is? I don't even know who the favorite is. Right? I think this is the one probably that like Viola Davis. I would say uh, is probably. I mean, the I would I, like I would almost think Carrie Mulligan is the favorite at this point, even though she hasn't won a single award. <laughs> yeah, which is the crazy thing to think about. Yeah. But I think this is. I don't know if this is what you were alluding to earlier, where you thought Promising Young Woman might be, this is where it gets uh, its sort of credit. And I think if that was what you were alluding toward, I think I agree with you. I think that Viola Davis is probably the second favorite for me. Unfortunately, it does feel like Frances McDormand, I mean, especially Vanessa Kirby, but even Frances McDormand and Andre Day haven't really able to build, been able I to think build Andrew enough. Day can still win, I, do, yeah. I think she could, but I, I do think that would be a clear upset in my mind. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong for saying that Th this does feel like, you know, there are four people who could win the award. Like we were just talking about the supporting actors, like four people could win the award. I think maybe, maybe the, the needle shifts like a little bit towards Carrie Mulligan, just because, you know, like it or hate it, <laughs> love it or hate it. This, you know, promising young woman, the film is in the conversation, which is more than we can say for the, you know, three of the other four films in this category. Like no one's talking about pieces of a woman. No one, no one even knows what the Billy Holiday movie even is. Like I don't even remember People the name think, of it. It's really the US bad. Versus I was Billie on, Holiday. That's I was on the uh, film spotting trivia Patreon game the other night, and yeah. um, I, one of the one of the critics who was there might have been Aisha Harris from NPR. I think was like referencing it and said. Uh, the movie is terrible, but uh, Andrew Day is very good in it. And, and it's just, a lot of the well, others who were there it's were just like Judy. With her. It's yeah. just like Judy last year. Like, no one gave yeah. a crap about that movie. Like, I don't even think like five people in the Academy probably saw that movie. But they like, all yeah. voted for, for Renee Zellweger in the category, which is whatever. I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating with the number of people who saw the movie. But um, yeah, between that and Pieces of a Woman, and frankly, I don't think anyone's talking about Myrene's Black Bottom either. They're talking about Chadwick Boseman, of course. But I don't think anyone's talking about the movie. Um, which, you know, that doesn't mean that Viola Davis is out of category or any of these other people we just talked about are out of the category. But um, it, it does seem like Promising Young Woman has inertia in that the film is still very relevant. Um, and it seems like people are still talking about it. And I'm not even that plugged into film Twitter and people are still talking about it all the time, it seems like. Um, for what, you know, better for better or for worse, people are still talking about it. And I think that, you know, maybe it gets uh, a technical award, although I'd be a little surprised if it did over some other contenders in the different categories i think this might be the place it gets recognized and um you know for my taste at least if you were going to recognize the film carrie mulligan might as well be the person you recognize for it just because i think that if you're just thinking about the controversial elements of the movie i think her performance itself you know her her giving it her all um that's probably the least controversial part uh everything else might be a little bit uh right it's the same logic i was sort of using with amanda seyfried and mank right like even the people who don't like promising young woman are, you know, can begrudgingly accept that. Yeah. Like me can begrudgingly accept that it, you know, it's a good performance. And also Carrie Mulligan to me is the classic Oscar example of an actress who 
people have raved about her for years, right? In in other movies that have not gotten their yeah. recognition. Um, like and Plus. been like a lot of people like consider her to be one of the best actresses working today, um, Terry Mulligan. And then, you know, she finally does a movie that like gets the recognition. It's not very good, but like almost like Joaquin Phoenix and Joker a couple of years ago, right? Like again, Joaquin Phoenix is is one of the most talented actors out there. Um, but it took him doing a very below average movie um, for him to actually get the Oscar recognition. And, you know, it's it's kind of disappointing on some level. Again, I mean, I think Carrie Mulligan's a very, uh, very good actress, but it's kind of disappointing that like she, you know, would win for this and not for wildlife, for example, which is her strongest performance to me. Um, but I'm, a, I'm in agreement, Scott. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm leaning towards Mulligan on this one as well. But yeah, I mean, I think four out of five could win this. I don't, I don't think Vanessa Kirby is going to win. I do think she is the one who is clearly, very clearly fifth out of five um, of these five nominees. But um, nothing else would shock me, honestly, in, in the category because Andrew Day has won. We saw her win at the Golden, uh, the Golden Globes. Viola Davis has won very recently, I believe, at the SAG Awards, right? Um, and yeah, again, Carrie Mulligan, I think, has this positive buzz. McDormand is a two-time winner. Like, there's there's reasons to believe that any of them could win. Um, so, but I am going with with Mulligan. I think this is where Promising Young Woman will get its due. Didn't Francis McDormand um, win at the Baptist? Didn't am I misremembering that? Or did Viola Davis win at the Baptist? I think it was Viola Davis as well. Um, Forget me. Okay. Could have been Mulligan. I'm not sure. Uh, all right, Scott. Best director. Uh, last two awards here. Thomas Vinterberg for another round. Yeah. David Fincher for Mank. Yeah. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Yeah. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. And mm-hmm. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Yeah. Scott, I'm not seeing Christopher Nolan on this list. I Am I missing his name somewhere? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, we live in a twilight world, Scott. Yeah, well, look. No friends at dusk here. But anyway, uh, I think... I think you'd be crazy not to pick Chloe Zhao at this point. Like the Oscars have to redeem themselves. They'll like do something else like that's completely inane and stupid and 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 you know cast a shadow over the whole award ceremony. But I don't think they're gonna screw up the director. But I could be wrong. And thank God it's her, right? And it's not Emerald Fennell, right? Because I would no. literally be screaming right now if it's like <laughs> you finally get a female director who's gonna be recognized, and it's freaking Emerald Fennell for this awful move. Like, okay, not awful, but very problematic Camilla. movie in my opinion yeah camilla um, parker bowls herself for crown yeah uh, thank god that it is it is chloe Zha. yeah you know there's a little bit of stuff that's come up recently about like people discovering her father is a billionaire and of course you know for certain troll sex sex of trolls on, on twitter they've sort of seized on that as like well here's this privileged person you know making this movie about a life that you know it it feels very sort of uh, appropriative, I guess, uh, exploitative, what, what she's doing. But, I mean, that's just stupid. As if, the, as the if not stands, most filmmakers in Hollywood aren't privileged. Yeah, the movie stands stands alone for itself. The movie speaks for itself. Um, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's no need to bring all of these other sort of factors in. But, yeah, it's Chloe Zhao. She's going to win, um, and she deserves it. It was my favorite directing job of the year. Um I don't, I don't know what else there is to say. I, I look forward to to the win, and I look forward to her joining, uh, you know, the the ranks of Catherine Bigelow and no one else for having been a female and won this award. Um, yeah, you know, it, it may not have gone to the female director who was uh, responsible for last year's best film, but it will go for the female director who was responsible for this year's best film. So you know, it, it's a little bit of a consolation, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. 
Yeah, um, that's, that's just what I'm telling myself. All right, best picture, Scott. Uh, your nominees: Sound of Metal, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Father, Judas of the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Nomad Land. Is it still Nomad Land salute, Scott? Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely still Nomad Land salute. No, no doubt about that. I think that um, unfortunately. I'm just on Gold Derby here looking at favorites and stuff. Sound of Metal is last place in terms of favorites at the Oscars. That's brutal. That's surprising. Picture. Yeah. I mean, look, it's 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 all pretty slim pickings, I think, in terms of like prediction, like votes, um, prediction votes um, outside of Nomadland. I mean, this thing is by far. What do they way. have it? What do they have it to? Is it tr- trial or is it promising young woman? Uh, no, uh, trial is two and Minari is three and then promising young woman. Okay. Is four. Um, okay. And trial of seven and Minari are you know, in the same ballpark as each other in terms of um, number of vote predictions, but then everything else is like, you know, less than 80 votes. Um, So I think that tells you what you need to know in terms of your favorites. And I think you're crazy if you pick anything besides Nomadland. That doesn't mean that the Oscars wouldn't do something stupid. Um, And I don't know, give Trial of Chicago 7 best picture. Um, But I do think that this, you know, feels like certainly more so than last year. It feels like it is locked down it will almost certainly be Nomadland. And fair enough, this has been a great year in film. And Nomadland was certainly one of the great films. And even I will say, even more prominent than the Chloe Zhao stuff I was just talking about, right, has been this whole conversation around Nomadland and Amazon and people oh feeling like... Oh my God, like people... Oh my, oh my Lord. I read I know, right? some of the threads about that the other this day, is, and I'm like, holy hell, what are these people thinking? This is the Scorsese <laughs> Irishman like not letting Anna Packwood speak discourse of this of this year like it is it is absurd um but it's out there right it's out there it has been adopted by a not insignificant amount of people at the same time i feel like this is the sort of red herring that came up a couple years ago with green book right i think we both sort of pivoted away or at least i know i pivoted away from green book towards the end um and leaned towards roma because uh, of like all the stuff that was coming out about, about Green Book, like the controversies about like Nick Vanalonga and like some of the past like tweets and stuff that he'd had, like that were like, I don't know if they were like racist or just like Trump supporting or something like that. And then, you know, Dr. Shirley, the Mahershala Ali character, like his family coming out and being like, no, this, a lot of this stuff is wrong. We don't like what's being portrayed in the movie. All of that stuff sort of made me feel like, oh, wow, the, you know, this bad press is going to kill Green Book's chances. And then it won anyway. Um, so I'm not going to be fooled this time by sort of this this red herring narrative around Nomadland. I do think this movie is still going to win Best Picture. I do think it's still not really that close. And I do think that it absolutely deserves to win. Uh, this was the best film of last year. And uh, for it to win the award, uh, it will be something that has not happened, at least in my personal estimation, for you know five, six years since Spotlight won, where the best movie of the year actually wins Best Picture. So pretty cool IMO. Um, anything else to add, Scott, uh, about, about the Oscars? Are you looking forward to the ceremony? I am looking forward to the ceremony. I mean, for better or for worse, and it, we we actually haven't even talked about this on the podcast, even though I think we could have. Um, all the drama around them forcing people to come in person. They did eventually yeah. set up these sort of European satellite locations where they will be in person. I guess kind of like the Globes did with a sort of an East Coast West Coast um, vibe for their two presenters, even though they didn't have people giving speeches in person, but there will be no zoom speeches at the Oscars. So if someone were to win and they were not there, they will not be giving a speech. Uh, They are not allowing zoom speeches. So take that for what it's worth. I think there's plenty of conversation to be had about sort of the, I don't know, acceptability of forcing your 
stars, especially some of them who are particularly old, who may or may not be vaccinated, especially the ones who are from Europe who don't have as, uh, I guess the vaccine rollout hasn't been as uh, expedient there. And, you know, with, with the pauses with AstraZeneca, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's plenty of conversation that has already happened and, and could still remain to happen, especially if the sort of Oscar events become spreader events for some, for some reason. Um, I think there's certainly plenty of conversation that could be had around that, although they have put into place a lot of quarantining measures. Like they're forcing people who are coming to LA to show up like seven to 10 days ahead of time and, and basically quarantine ahead of the Oscar ceremony, which, you know, look, they're taking precautions. Are they taking enough precautions? Are they doing something stupid? Like, I don't know, maybe, but I think what that means for better or for worse is that the actual ceremony is going to feel like something closer to normal than we've seen at any other award show. And for someone who is, has had plenty of patience, I think with quarantine in myself, I think it's nice to know that maybe we're going to get a little bit of escapism 15 months or 14 months or whatever it is into, into the pandemic. And I'll be pleased if it, if it goes off well, there's not a host this year. So presumably they're going to keep things moving forward quickly again. I'm looking forward to it. I think that it has a lot of potential, even if the means of it getting to that potential might have been a little bit questionable. Uh, my only other second thought, Scott, is that I'm having real second thoughts about you, Jun Yoon, uh, uh, in the supporting actress category. I think she might win it, but I won't. I won't change my prediction. But I, I think no. she's probably. I think she's you probably going to stick do with it. it. Yeah, she's probably going to do it. Though. If, I, if I were to fill out a ballot after this, there's no way I'm not like, taking her on the ballot. The more I think about it, go with your gut. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you, Scott. I think, you know, the, the Zoom stuff, it was it was amusing, right, for, for quite a while. Like the Golden Globes were, were quite funny to watch, just all of this stuff going Un- down. Unintentionally so, but yes. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I mean. But at this point, I'm over it. Like, this is the big show, right? Let's let's make it yeah. feel as close to normal as possible. Um, I'm ready to see uh, quote unquote normal Oscars. Um, and yeah, no, I, I look forward to it as I do every year, despite my my very mixed feelings about um the whole ceremony you know it's it's an it's a night for us movie nerds to you know get to take the spotlight it's it's the super bowl for us so sorry it's the big game for us um so uh, i you know I, I treasure it because of that reason right there so yeah all right next sunday uh or in a couple of days like i said when you hear this uh, at 8 p.m oscars uh yeah it should be a good show all right scott anything else you want to add before we finish up today I think that should do it. All right. Uh, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At a Shelton2013 over there and on Letterboxd. And I am at Scarvy Dent. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Some Like It, Scott. If you have and you'd like to uh, support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediapodspods. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. Uh, And, of course, we hope you will join us for our next episode on which we will be recapping said Academy Awards, uh, all the highs and lows of the evening. We'll be discussing it all next week on the podcast. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 